Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me. We'll be in the book of Acts uh, again. We've got about another month and a half as we finish off um, this book of the Bible this year, which is pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, Acts chapter 19 is where we'll be. We'll start in verse 11 and work uh, down a little bit. Uh, I don't know about you, but have you felt like life is a little bit, I don't know, whether busier or faster or more crowded lately have you felt like that we were talking with some friends of the day just about that and about how this season uh with our our kiddos and we just have one at home still feels busier than any other season we we've ever had it was it's been a been a crazy run and i and so we started to talk about is it really faster or have we just gotten out of shape with our schedules and calendars since COVID kind of slowed the world and stopped it. Then we started thinking about those things and, and the reality is I, I've noticed um, it, some things about my life that have become a little bit more sedentary and so decided like some other people in the world, I'd hit New Year's a little early and start working out again. Um, and by working out, I don't mean Omar level working out, like I am midlife and enjoying this thing, you know. So just started swimming again throughout the week and kind of uh, trying to just get some lung capacity and, and just some, some good feeling back up. And I was thinking about that while I was swimming this week, thinking about Acts chapter 19 and this unique story that looks on the, the, the name of Jesus in a different way because the, the name of Jesus is all over uh, verse 11 through verse 20. It's, it's all over it. But it, it seems to not uh, play out as the handlers of the name of Jesus felt like. And, and it made me think of their motivation. Um, so all that's going through my head, and I'm, I'm swimming this week. And I remember as a 17-year-old uh, student walking into my student pastor's office as proud as I could be. Um, I was on the swim team in high school. We had won state that year, and they did a mythical meet of all the schools in the whole country, and we won. So you put up all of our times against everybody else's times, and we won. And so I went in, and I remember I said, Tommy, you'll never guess what happened. Out of all the public high schools in America, we're the best. And he said, that's awesome. How many points were you responsible for? Can I tell you in that moment? I mean, I went on a relay to state, but really out of all the schools in America, we had two guys on our team that were accountable for all the points and I was not one of those guys. And in that moment, I remember feeling challenged, defeated and thinking, and I was excited. Why am I so excited to tell you this? And, and don't get me wrong, Tommy was, he knew me well. Because my motivation wasn't to be excited for our team. Do you know what my motivation was at 17 years old? Just a little bit of praise from the people in my life. Have you ever, have, have you ever been there where you shared something and your motivation was just to get maybe a little praise? It wasn't to give a little praise? started to make me think about this passage in chapter 19 because I, I think we need to understand our motivation as we live for Christ a little bit better maybe than we walk through today is an evaluation day for everyone in here just pretend my name is Tommy and you just walked in telling me about your swimmate I, I as I looked at motivation 
There are a lot of different definitions of motivation, pieces of motivation, but maybe the most succinct explanation I found was that motivation is, is built by and, and is, is made up of three things. A desire for autonomy, a desire for mastery, and a belief about purpose. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. That we are motivated as people by, by wanting to be autonomous we we want to be in control of our life to do that we must master something and that will show the world and ourselves that we play a part in the bigger picture it's really it's really not an unbrilliant breakdown the question i want to ask is is it biblical is it biblical that I should be motivated by autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So let's read this story in scripture and then we'll unpack it together and we'll just look into our world a little bit. Acts chapter 19 verse 11 says this. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. I adjure you, excuse me, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, they were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered them all, overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And I'm just going to stop there. We'll read the rest later on. Everybody feels encouraged now, right? Feels really good. You know, when I, when I read this story, if I were to just pull it off and put it back on the shelf next to the Chronicles of Nor Narnia as a great Christian fiction tale, it would mean one thing. But today, what I want you to do is I don't want you to put that story on the shelf as just one that, that's fun. Don't get me wrong. I believe Luke enjoyed pinning that. Like people misusing the name of Jesus and, and the demons humiliate them. That's a, that's a great story. But what if we allow it to, to do what God's word is to do and allow the Holy Spirit to have its way in us and we were to read this story as if the Lord is trying to show us something. Not just trying to proclaim it to everybody else who aren't true believers, so to speak. But, but what if God's motivation in writing this was allow you and I to put our life under his microscope? And for a moment, ask some real questions about who we are in Christ Jesus versus just kind of walking around. Because there's an easy trap to fall into that our motivation can look God-honoring and biblical. But when we put it under the microscope, we really start to understand, hmm, maybe I've been missing that, and that's the reason why fill in the blank. So first of all, let's look at this question for you and me. What drew you to Jesus? If you're a believer in this room right now, if you're not, what drew you to church this morning? But if you're a believer, just think for just a moment, if you've been walking with Christ for over five years, you've much forgotten probably that moment. What drew you to Jesus? Was it autonomy? 
or was it freedom? See, let me tell you the similarities between autonomy and freedom. Autonomy says, I am not influenced by others. I am my own man or woman. I am in control of my own destiny. It sounds a lot like freedom. I mean, in our country, we, we love this idea of, of freedom, but we know freedom and autonomy, although very similar, aren't synonymous. Because autonomy only works for how many people? One. Because if I'm autonomous and I can do anything I want, however I want, and I control myself, by definition, I'm going to infringe on somebody else. And if I'm infringing on you and you have to respond to what I think, say, do, or act upon, are you autonomous? you're not running your own ship because if my ship's bigger and collides into you yours out so when we talk about autonomy we have to say is autonomy does god want you and i to be the one does god want you and i to be the hero of every story the master of every universe is that what god wants for us look at verse 11 and verse 12 and let your desire sputter again with that mindset and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and diseases left them and spirits came out of them. You see, these itinerant um, Jewish exorcists were basically traveling for higher um, uh, demon kicker outers is, is the best way to say it if you had an ailment they would travel from town to town to to fix your needs man a, a picture of pete's dragon from when i was a kid pops up in mind you just come into town to sell these fake potions and whatever and then you leave town because it doesn't really work and, and how it worked was this. These Jewish exorcists would go around and, and they would pick up foreign words because the longer the words and the more unfamiliar they sounded, the better the spell, right? In other words, the smarter we look and use words that you don't understand, the more you have to trust us for the impacting of them. See, what these Jews really wanted was they wanted wherever they went to do whatever they desired and live the life that they would paint for themselves in a good way. And it sounds really good in the shallows. But when we're living for autonomy, what we do is we take from others and we try to make it meaningful for us for our fame, for our glory, for the respect. See, when we live in autonomy, when that's our goal, we don't live for freedom. Listen to what Galatians chapter five, verse one says about freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Romans chapter eight, verse 15 says it this way. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, what Jesus says is, you can live for autonomy if you want to, but I am calling you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of mine, I'm calling you to freedom 
to be free from the pulls of this world, to be from the distractions, the distrust, to be free from an end that promises the world and ends in destruction. In fact, the freedom that I offer you is not autonomy. It's the freedom to stand with me. You see, church, when we look at that definition of it, we start asking the question, when we are motivated to live for Jesus Christ, are you trying to be the one who influences everybody else? Or are you pointing to Jesus Christ as the influencer of your life? See, one, a chase of autonomy is a life condemned to the chains of sin. See, we can look in Scripture, and the Old Testament's filled with it. People who wanted to chart their own course, to be their own people, and every single story ends in destruction. Today, when you are sitting here, what's drawing you to Jesus right now? Is it the opportunity to be the you that you want to be? Or is it freedom from a failed life that tends to lead you short in every area? You see, these, these two words, autonomy and freedom, are, are linked to two others. They're linked to the words mastery, but they're also linked to the word victory. And that's what we start to see as this story unfolds itself. Here, these men are driven by autonomy. They're excited. They love the name of Jesus. They've heard what it can do. And they want a piece of the action as they write their own story. And, and listen to what happens here in verse 13 and 14. Then some of these traveling Jews, exorcists, they, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over those who had evil spirits. I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And then seven sons of Sceva, of a Jewish high priest, excuse me, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, they were doing this. You see, I think there's a question that we have to answer after what draws us to Jesus, but what keeps you turning to Jesus? And this is where we're going to camp for a minute. Because we can say, Jesus, your freedom from sin, you saved my life, that draws me from you. The power of the name of Jesus is not in question. The evidence of it has been written out through the pages of scripture and history. It's written in our personal stories and in the, in the novels around us. But the question is, what keeps you turning to Jesus? And, and this is really important, church. Is it mastery or is it victory? See, mastery and victory have a lot in common as well, just like autonomy and freedom, but they start to diverge a little bit because victory is overcoming or defeating something. Mastery is gaining prominence and control over something. See, there's a difference between defeat and control these Jews walked around with the name of Jesus trying to master how his power worked. They wanted to carve out a little bit of that Jesus power for themselves. 
And so what did they do? They started saying these spells to demons. I adjure you by Jesus whom, whom Paul proclaimed. You see, this isn't so different, church, than a work-based theology that we would lean into a little bit today. See, a work-based theology makes you feel like this. And if you feel like this, don't raise your hand. Just know this is for you right now. A work-based theology says, I need to get control of these things. When I can get control of my schedule, when I can make myself become more disciplined in prayer, when I can, can figure out how to maneuver and manage my family, when I, when I can get an understanding of the word like that person, when I can fill in the blank, then Man, the world's gonna be changed for Jesus. See, a works-based faith says, I keep coming to Jesus because I'm gonna keep coming to him until I completely understand him, understand all of his tricks, all of his ways, I understand his lingo, and I become a master of all things Jesus. And in a weird way, like a brownie baked with, with chocolate that's bitter. It's tempting and disappointing at the same time. Have you ever sought Jesus and felt powerless at the same time? Have you ever wondered why he's not showing up in the way that you know he could or why, why the, the, the number of scriptures you put in your body can't break the habits you have or, or why the, the different pieces in your life, they're just not playing out like they should? For a moment, what if you have been trying to gain mastery of Jesus so that you could live the autonomous life for yourself to the glory of God that you want to live. See, because Jesus doesn't promise us mastery, he promises us victory. If you were to look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians verse 15, uh, 57, it says this, Paul writes, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Proverbs, Old Testament, verse 21, verse 31, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to whom? The Lord. Have you considered that you and my, our need of control in our life to fix Jesus, to figure out our families for God, to make it all ready is the opposite of living victoriously and that's why we live a faith that can be disappointing at times? Because the promise of victory is every horse he gets the glory for. Every battle that we fight, the victory is promised through him. You see, the only thing that happens through us is that the Lord and his power uses us as available stewards whom he has set free. We have a need to figure it out and it leads us to rejection and disappointment. Saul, uh, in the book of uh, Samuel, he, he's about to go into battle and his men are all shaky. There's a lot on the line. Uh, Samuel, he's slow in his coming. 
Paul, I mean, Saul knows how to, to, how to get his troops excited. King Saul knows there's a lot on the line. Everything's about to fall apart. He's an incredible strategist. He's the mastery of war. He knows what he's doing. But in this moment, Samuel's running late and he makes a decision. The people need to know God is with them. So the king sets aside his crown and takes on the robes of a priest and he slaughters animals just like a priest would and offers offerings to the glory of the God of Israel. Just after that happened, Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? And Saul tries to, to explain why and what's going on and what's on the line. And he was just doing his best for the people of God. And he was just trying to figure it all out. And Samuel says, in this moment, the throne has fell from your hand. God has rejected you. Have you been ever doing your best for God and just felt like he's not listening? Have you ever been wrestling and struggling to get it right? And if God would just cooperate, it would all be all right? Church, our disappointment in God might reveal to us the reason we've been turning has not been victory, but it's been mastery. Church, what we see in victory is the life of David the king. We see it in Jesus the son. When the goal of following hard after Jesus is victory, we start to see certainty, humility, a following. Jesus humbled himself in coming here and found himself speaking. Read the pages of scripture with authority from the Father. King David lived on the promise that God would provide every time the kingdom could be handed to him. Every time Saul was within his grasp, David said, we will not pretend to be masters of this situation for God has promised the victory and we will let him have it. Church, this morning, my question is, when you are coming to Jesus, when you come to him in freedom, then we come to him in humility and submission and the victory is guaranteed. We can live a powerless faith because of the things we think we can master for Jesus and Jesus says there's no reason for that because a faith that wants to master the things of God and not have victory through the God who provides has a specific outcome. Look in your Bible, verse 15, 16. The Bible says it this way in our story. The, the sons of Sceva were saying these things, and, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You see, here, here's the interesting thing. When, when these men who desire autonomy as their motivation and believe that mastery is the way to get it by any means necessary, they find out their purpose in life is to be an example to the glory of God because they are left wanting, not in humility, but humiliated. Could you imagine 
these, these men who've traveled and maybe women with them as well, as they've walked in, they have this great new word. Jesus, we've seen him had power. And in that moment, the demon doesn't ignore him. The demon doesn't uh, get perturbed because he heard the name of Jesus. He just looks back and he says, we know Jesus and we know Paul. We've heard of him. We recognize that name. But we don't know you. You see, when you and I live a life following after Jesus, but it reeks of autonomy and mastery, church, then we live a life of defeat. Going through the motions of church or small group, we can go through the motions of, of, of turning our devotional calendar every day and doing great things for a lot of people. But, but at the end of the day, if we are just using the name of Jesus to try to solve the Rubik's Cube of our life's puzzle so that it can be the life that we hope and dream it can be, then what we find here is that we will find ourselves wanting because that is the purpose that God has for every person who desires autonomy away from him. In this moment, these men find themselves beaten and humiliated, walking away. But verse 17 tells us it's not wasted. Verse 17 through 20 says, and all this became known to the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and the fear of, uh, fell upon all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, it was exalted, it was, it was a big deal, it was lifted up. And all many of those who now believers were coming and confessing and divulging their practices and the number of those who practiced arts, magical arts, brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. Church, everything and everyone is a part of God's story. I want you to know whether you follow Jesus or whether you follow yourself, there is not one single life on this planet that doesn't have a purpose in exalting the name of God. The question is, will you exalt him through your wanting or through your abundance? These men who played with the name of Jesus, who did the church things, they found out that their role, that their disappointment, that their humiliation made the name of God great. Yet, yet scripture is full Paul, John, the believers, Ananias, uh, excuse me, uh, we, we're going to look at the, the different um, Priscilla and Aquila, the different people in Scripture, that their abundance is what drew people to him. So in your story with God, if you were to be honest, not with me, but with Jesus right now, are you experiencing abundance or you've been living in a long season of wanting. You see, in this moment, these men, these women who were trying to use the name of God, they found themselves disappointed. And I thought about that today. 
How many men and women have done a thousand good things for Jesus? But they aren't living in freedom because they keep trying to master him. See, I think our motivation in the church can line us up to totally miss the point. It starts at the beginning. Who is the best one to yield everything to? See, in your home, maybe you've been living like, if everything would just work out like I said, if my wife would just follow me, if my husband would just follow me, if my kids would just follow me, if my boss would just allow me, if all these things would just happen, then it would work out to the glory of God and his name would be praised. Maybe in this room, you're just saying, God, if, if I could just figure out the best way to memorize a million scriptures, if, if I could just find a way to go to enough small groups, to be in enough Bible studies, if I could just find a way to figure all these things out, God, then, then I would know abundance. Church, it doesn't matter how powerful the name of Jesus is if you're placing him in your hands and you've taken yourself out of his. See, the beauty of this story is that it's a reminder that there is power in the name of Jesus. And for those who are his, who have been set free from sin for him, who want to live in victory no matter how he brings it, and how far on the fringes you have to stand to be a part of it. That there's a promise of life to the full, Scripture would say, abundantly. So the perfect COVID story is this. Church, you don't have to master your faith. Dads, you don't have to master your family. Ladies, you do not have to master your environment. You have to lay it down. What draws you to Jesus right now? Autonomy or freedom? God is promising more than we could imagine or dream and everything else will be destroyed. So in our invitation today, as we have our time of responding, oh, my challenge would be that you would not put this story back on the shelf. But that as this week goes on, as you encounter frustration or excitement or victory or defeat, that you would ask the Lord, who led me here? Was it you or was it me? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, this morning we know from this story, or there's a little bit too much of us in it. Lord, I, I wanna write things off and just say, praise God, I'm not just handling the name of Jesus. But Lord, don't let me skim over it so quickly. Don't let me gloss over it in a moment. 
Lord Jesus, in this invitation, Lord, I pray that every man, woman, boy, and girl would ask, what drew me here? Father God, if there is a, an ability, a will, Lord, to submit to you in this moment, Father, I pray that we would repent of seeking you for our goals and running hard after you so that we could master the God who needs no counselor. Lord, we don't want to be examples of life wanting that you use to draw men and women to you. Father, we want to be a people who live in the abundance of the victory and the spoils of the God who set us free. So Lord, let us see what we run to. Father, if there's a person in this room who does not know you as the freedom giver, Lord, would you allow them this moment to be still before you and confess a desire no longer to be autonomous, but to be free through your victory. In Jesus' name, amen.